Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But before you can truly learn from the tales of our past, you must first understand them. And you're in luck because you found the one and only show that dives deep into the historical figures of our past and how key events have shaped the world that we live in today. You're tuned to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Right here on WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. With your host of today's show, Connor Bolanos. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where this week we're going to be talking about Louis-Philippe, someone who's come up in our previous discussions about Tocqueville, especially as we in reference to the July monarchy. Now, Louis-Philippe, if you haven't heard of him, um, or if you have, it was most notable for being the monarch during the July monarchy, the last king of France from 1830 to 1848, until he was eventually deposed by the 1848 revolutions. Now, Louis-Philippe has a very interesting past in regards to it because he was seen as both a liberal king but at the same time too conservative to the point that in the 1848 revolutions he was overthrown so in order to get to the heart of louis philippe who he was and what his reign was like let's jump right into his early life louis philippe was born in the palais royal the residence of the orleans family in paris to his father louis philippe the duke of chartres and uh, his grandfather, the Duke of Orleans, who was also Louis-Philippe I. Um, and his mother, louis Marie Adelaide de Bourbon. As, as a result of this marriage into the Bourbon line, and as a member of the reigning house Bourbon, who at the time of his birth was in control of France, as this was before the Revolution, he was a prince of blood, which entitled him to use of the style Serene Highness, being a very high noble title in France. His mother was also extremely wealthy, uh, having been descended from Louis XIV of France through a legitimized uh, cadet line. Louis-Philippe was the eldest of his three, of three sons and a daughter, a family that was to have, for the most part, kind of erratic fortunes from the beginning of the French Revolution all the way through the Bourbon Restoration, as some of his family would be executed, some of them would be sent into exile, and one of them would become the king of France. Now, the elder branch of House Bourbon, uh, to which the kings of France belong. So at this point in time, uh, Louis the Fourteenth, Louis the Fifteenth, Louis the Sixteenth, was deeply distrusted um, the intentions of the cadet branch, as was not too uncommon with royal families at the time, because this cadet branch was, should the senior line die out, be the successors to that royal line. So added some sense of distrust for the cadet line. Maybe they thought that they would assassinate them for some reason, which. To be honest, to me, seems weird, and probably to a lot of people seems weird, since we don't really consider um, assassination and poisoning to be a regular occurrence. But in royal families and during this time period, you know, it's not out of the realm of question. But because of this distrust, Louis-Philippe's father and most of the family was exiled from the royal court, and the Orleans confined themselves to the studies of literature and sciences that emerged during the Enlightenment. This Enlightenment education began under the Countess of Genlitz in 1782, where she instilled within him a fondness for liberal thought that would come to inspire his actions in the French Revolution and also his more liberal attitudes during his reign. And it was thought that during this time he also picked up his slightly, um, as it's probably best described, Voltarian brand of Catholicism, 
um, this Voltairean brand of Catholicism being a still fundamentally Catholic belief, but Voltaire had a number of criticisms about the Catholic Church that uh, Louis Philippe picked up and believed in on top of, you know, these fundamental Catholic ideas. Um, and when F Louis Philippe's grandfather would die in 1785, his father succeeded him as the Duke of Orleans, and Louis Philippe would succeed his father as the Duke of Chartres. Um, in 1788, with the revolution looming, uh, Louis Philippe, who was very young at the time, showed his liberal sympathies when he helped break down a prison door in Mont Saint Michel. Now, many of you probably have heard of Mont Saint Michel, if or if you've ever been to France, it's a very popular tourist attraction for being a monastery off the coast of France. But before the revolution, it had been converted into a prison. In case you were wondering why there was a cell door being broken down in what should be a um, monastery. So it was a prison during the time of uh, the pre-revolution and Louis-Philippe to break down his cell door while he was there with visiting with the Countess Genlis, who I mentioned earlier was his teacher and the main inspiration for his liberal thoughts. And his family as a whole shared these same liberal thoughts. And in October 1788 to October 1789, the Palais Royal, the residence of the Orleans family, was the meeting place for revolutionaries within France. Not only was the um, family home a residence for revolutionary thought, the meeting place for revolutionary thought, but Louis Philippe also uh, took the initiative to join the Jacobin Club, which was a very liberal movement within. You've probably heard of them before. They were one of the most prominent and most radical factions of the French Revolution, and Louis Philippe, in his youth, before the time of the Revolution, sought out to join this with his father's approval. Now, Louis Philippe would get the would join the revolution not so much in a political way his father would serve as a politician within the more liberal government and the liberal regime after they overthrew the monarchy but louis philippe would serve within the military in june 1791 louis philippe got his first opportunity to become involved in the affairs of france when in seven as um, he had previously had been appointed in 1785, the hereditary appointment of Colonel of the Chartist Dragoons. Now, with war in 1791, his, his uh, appointment, his regiment, um, was up for service. And so all propriety colonels, including Louis Philippe, were required to join their regiments when war was imminent in 1791. Louis Philippe, during this time, showed himself to be a model officer, and he demonstrated his personal bravery in two famous instances. First, three days after Louis XVI's flight to Varnese, that being the escape, escape attempt by Louis uh, XVI before he was re-imprisoned and eventually executed, a quarrel between two local priests and one of the new constitutional vicars became heated. These constitutional vicars being... Um, mainly uh, individuals who were tasked by the government with keeping order, rooting out royalist intent and whatnot, as they had just overthrown the monarchy, and a lot of France, for the most part, was still, especially in the more rural countryside, was still pretty upset about the whole deal, them being conservative and more in favor of the monarchy. And a crowd surrounded the inn where the priests were staying, demanding blood. Now, this is also the time, um, as we mentioned with Tocqueville, where the, the liberals of the revolution, a number of them, were very anti-religion. A lot of them saw the church as this old institution, and they sought to tear it down. And in this particular instance, um, this frenzied crowd sought to uh, kill the priests, who they saw as part of the monarchy, as part of this old regime. Now, the young colonel, that being Louis Philippe, broke through the crowd and extricated the two priests, who then fled. 
At a river crossing on the same day, another crowd threatened to harm the same priest, and Louis Philippe put himself between a peasant armed with a carbine and the priest, demonstrating his bravery in saving the lives. The next day, Louis Philippe would then end up diving into a river to save a drowned local engineer, for an, act an action for which he received a civic crown from the local municipality. From here, he was moved north to Flanders at the end of 1791 after the 27th of August 1791 Declaration of Pilnitz, that being the declaration from Austria that Louis XVI was to be released or else war with France would be commenced. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos, the show where we dive deep into the historical figures of our past to better understand our present. For all of you just tuning in, welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. We are talking today about Louis-Philippe, the last king of France, and the king during the July monarchy. We just got done talking about his early life, how his, how his upbringing influenced his liberal views, and how, so far, he got into the military. And we're now about to jump in into how he really served and saw combat during the French Revolution. Now... Before the war declaration itself, on the 20th of April, 1792, Louis-Philippe served under his father's close friend, Armand-Louis de Gontal, the Duke of Bourdon, along with several officers who would later be quite notable, such as Colonel Bethier and Lieutenant Colonel Alexandre de Berhaunis, who would end up being the future husband of uh, Napoleon's uh, former wife, Empress Josephine. After war was declared on the 20th of April, 1792, Louis-Philippe saw first action in the French Revolutionary North Revolutionary Wars, when France invaded the Austrian Netherlands at Boussel Waun on the 28th of April, 1792, and then at Quéragon on about the 29th of April, 1792, and then once again at Quéveron near Jamaps on the 30th of April. Where, and in these battles, he was instrumental in rallying a unit of retreating soldiers after the victorious Battle of Quévain only two days earlier on the 20th of April, 1792. Baron, the commanding officer who he served under, wrote to the war minister at the time, de Grave, praising the young colonel, who was then promoted to brigadier, commanding a brigade of cavalry near Luckner's Army of the North. While in the North, Louis-Philippe served with four future marshals of France, MacDonald, Mortier, Davout, and Oudinot. He would also serve under, and who he would serve under the longest, de Mauriez, who was appointed commander of the Army of the North in August of 1792, where Louis-Philippe would command a division under him in the, in the prominent and famous Valmy campaign. At, at the 20th of September, 1792, Battle of Valmy, after which the campaign took its name from, Louis-Philippe was ordered to place a battery of artillery on the crest of the hill of Valmy. The battle, while apparently inconclusive, um, considering that the Austro-Prussian army, short of supplies, was forced back across the Rhine without really much of a fight happening. Um, Louis-Philippe was praised for this in a letter by Dormorias after the battle, where Louis-Philippe was then recalled to Paris to give an account of the battle as a whole, where he built up a reputation for being a great a great soldier, not only from the recommendation, but also from the interview you had with Danton, the Minister of Justice. While in Paris, as a result of these um as a result of this praise for him, he was promoted to the rank of lieutenant general. And in October, he returned to the Army of the North, where de Mauriez had begun a march into the Austrian Netherlands. In this attack on the Netherlands, Louis-Philippe once again commanded a division of the army. And during this invasion, Louis-Philippe's division sustained heavy casualties as it attacked through the woods, retreating in relative disorder. But Louis-Philippe rallied the group of units, dubbing them the Battalion of Mons, and pushed forward with the other French units within the within the battle, overwhelming the outnumbered Austrians. 
this once again proved the bravery, the charisma, and the aptitude of Louis Philippe, who so far throughout his military campaign had demonstrated his worth and abilities. However, events in Paris undermined this military career of Louis Philippe. The incompetence of Jean-Nicolas Pache, the new Girondinist appointee, who... Uh, who was appointed on the 3rd of October, left the Army of the North almost without any supplies, and soon thousands of troops were deserting the army, which Louis-Philippe was commanding part of. And Louis-Philippe came to be increasingly alienated by the more radical policies of the Republic, which had been declared and set up after deposing the monarchy. In one particular instance, Louis-Philippe found himself very isolated very alienated from the politics of the Republic when they decided and voted to execute King Louis Sixteenth, something that his own father, who was then in the Republican government at the time, voted for. And it was after the execution of Louis Sixteenth that Louis-Philippe began to consider leaving France. However, Louis-Philippe was willing to stay in France to fulfill his duties in the army. But this was cut short when he was implicated in a plot by his commanding officer, de Mauriez, who had planned to ally with the Austrians, march his army in Paris, and restore the Constitution of 1791. De Mauriez had met with Louis-Philippe on the 22nd of March in 1793 while urging his subordinates to join in the attempt. However, this was found out in which event Louis-Philippe was implicated. And with the French government falling into the reign of terror about the time of the creation of the Revolutionary Tribunal earlier in March, Louis-Philippe decided to flee France to save his life, knowing that, especially in the reign of terror, any sign of potential betrayal would have led to him going to the guillotine. On, April, on the 4th of April, de Mouriez and Louis-Philippe left for an Austrian camp. They were intercepted by Lieutenant Colonel Louis-Nicolas Davaux, who had served as Jamaps with Louis-Philippe. As de Mouriez ordered the colonel back to the camp, some of his soldiers cried out against General de Mouriez, now declared a traitor by the National Convention. And as they fled, shots ran out as a tried to shoot at them as they fled towards the Austrian camp. The next day, de Mouriez tried to rally the soldiers again against the convention with the support of Louis-Philippe. However, he found that the artillery that he had once commanded had declared itself in favor of the Republic, leaving him and Louis with no choice but to go into exile. Thus, at the age of 19 and already a lieutenant general, Louis-Philippe left France, and it would be 21 years until he would step foot on French soil again. If you're not reading and learning history, then you're doomed to repeat it. For all of you just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. For all of you just tuning in, welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. We just got done talking about the early military career of Louis Philippe, the last king of France who reigned from 1830 to 1848. And we're now going to get into his exile. We just mentioned that Louis Philippe went into exile after he was implicated in a plot with General de Mouriez. And the reaction in Paris to Louis Philippe's involvement in this treason resulted in general misfortune for the Orleans family. Philippe Orleans, his father, spoke in the National Convention condemning his son for his actions, asserting that he would not spare his son, making a reference to um, Brutus and his sons of the Roman Republic. However, letters from Louis-Philippe to his father were discovered in transit and were read out loud to the convention at large. Philippe was then put under continuous surveillance. Shortly thereafter, the Girondinists moved to arrest him and the two younger brothers of Louis-Philippe, Louis Charles and Antoine Philippe the latter of whom had been serving in the army of Italy at the time. All three of them were interned at Fort St. Jean in Marseille. Meanwhile, Louis-Philippe was forced to live in the shadows, avoiding both pro-Republican revolutionaries and legitimate French émigrés centers in various parts of Europe, but also in the Austrian army. He moved to Switzerland under an assumed name, where he met up with his former teacher, the Countess of Genlis, and his sister Adelaide at Schaffhausen. 
From there, they were sent to Zurich, where the Swiss authorities decreed that in order to protect Swiss neutrality in the war, Louis-Philippe, who was a traitor to France, would have to leave the city. From there, they went to Zug, where Louis-Philippe was discovered by a group of legitimate emigres. It became quite apparent, however, for the women accompanying Louis-Philippe, that being his former teacher and sister, they would have to separate from him. He then left with his faithful valet, Baudouin, from the heights of the Alps and then to Basel, where he sold all but one of his horses at the time. He would then move from town to town throughout Switzerland, never staying anywhere for very long, where he and his valet found themselves very much exposed to all the distresses of extending travel. They re refused entry to a monastery by monks who at one point believed them to be young vagabonds, and at another time he was woken up after spending the night in a barn to find himself at the far end of a musket, confronted by a man who was attempting to keep away thieves. Throughout this period, he never stayed in one place for more than 48 hours, as he was running in order to evade capture. Finally, in October of 1793, Louis-Philippe was appointed a teacher of geography, history, mathematics, and modern languages at a boys' boarding school. The school, owned by Monsieur Joss in Reichsnau, was a village on the Upper Rhine and then independent Grossons League state, now a part of Switzerland. Its salary was around 1,400 francs, and he taught under the name Monsieur Chabos. He had been at the school for about a month when he heard the news from Paris that his father had been guillotined on the 6th of November, 1793, after a trial by the Revolutionary Tribunal. After leaving his teacher job, Louis-Philippe traveled very extensively across the world. He traveled to Scandinavia in 1795, he traveled to New York and visited his two brothers in exile, and he visited Cape Cod in 1797. And during this time within his exile, Louis-Philippe engaged in what would be either several affairs and also marriages. In 1796, Louis-Philippe supposedly fathered a child with Bieta Kaiser Walborn, who was named Eric Kohlström while during his trip in Scandinavia. In 1808, Louis-Philippe attempted to pr marry Princess Elizabeth, the daughter of King George III, but his Catholicism and opposition of her mother, Queen Charlotte, meant that the princess had to decline the offer. But in 1809, Louis-Philippe would marry Princess Maria Amalia of, of Naples and Sicily. Now, in 1815, Louis-Philippe would finally be able to return to France as the revolution was defeated and the Bourbon line was restored under Louis XVIII in the Bourbon Restoration following the Napoleonic Wars. During this time, Louis-Philippe had reconciled the Orleans family with Louis XVIII in exile and was once more to be found in the elaborate royal court. However, his resentment at the treatment of his family, that being the cadet branch of House Bourbon under the ancient regime, which I mentioned earlier, was always treated with suspicion, caused friction between him and Louis XVIII and he openly sided with the liberal opposition within the French parliament. Louis-Philippe was on friendlier terms with his brother and successor, though, Charles X, who acceded to the throne in 1824, and with whom he got along with. However, his opposition to the policies of the ultra-royalists, Villiel and later Jules de Polignac, caused him to be viewed as a constant threat to the stability of Charles's government, which proved to be his advantage as many saw this as Louis-Philippe being a very liberal and reformist kind of monarch. In 1830, the July revolutions overthrew Charles, who abdicated in favor of his son, Henry the Duke of Bordeaux, and named Louis-Philippe the regent, and taxed him with the responsibility of announcing to the popularly elected chamber of deputies that his grandson would succeed him. However, Louis-Philippe did not do this in order to increase his own chances of succession, and it was the chamber that would eventually proclaim Louis-Philippe, aware of his liberal policies and his popularity of the masses, King Louis-Philippe of France. Louis-Philippe was sworn in on the 9th of August, 1830, and upon ascension to his throne, he assumed the title the King of the French, not King of France as in previous monarchs had done, which was done by Louis-Philippe in order to form a more popular monarchy, 
as in that he was not king of the land, but of the people who had chosen him. During his rule, Philippe kind of ruled in, in an unpretentious fashion, unlike many of the Bourbons that preceded him. He avoided pomp and lavish spending of his predecessors, but despite this outward appearance of simplicity, his support largely came from the wealthy bourgeoisie of France. At first, he was much loved and called the Citizen King and the Bourgeois Monarch, but his popularity suffered as his government was increasingly perceived as conservative and monarchical, despite his decision to have Napoleon's remains returned to France and his various efforts to attempt to increase the conditions of the working class. But the industrial and agricultural depressions in 1846 and 1848 led to the 1848 revolutions and eventually his own abdication. This abdication occurred on the 24th of February, 1848, where King Louis-Philippe abdicated in favor of his then nine-year-old son-grandson, Philippe the Comte de Paris. Fearful of what happened to the deposed Louis XVI, Louis-Philippe quickly left Paris under disguise, and unlike Louis, who attempted to escape France in extravagant transportation, he instead rode in a cab under the name of Mr. Smith where he fled to England and spent his final years incognito. Now, the National Assembly of France had initially planned to take Jean Philippe as a king, that being his son, but the strong current of public opinion rejected that, and on the 26th of February, the Second Republic was proclaimed, and on the 10th of December, Louis-Napoleon was elected president. Louis-Philippe and his family would remain in exile in Great Britain, in Claremont, Surrey, and where he would eventually die on the 26th of August, 1850. Louis-Philippe leaves behind a very interesting legacy and a very interesting spot in French history as he uh, succeeded a very conservative regime and preceded a very liberal regime under the Second Republic. But the reign of Louis-Philippe shows that the people of France didn't want a moderate monarch. They wanted a more liberal monarch. And Louis-Philippe was unable to handle the rise of socialism and the rise of uh, labor and class tension within France. He was eventually overthrown and deposed for the Second Republic. So Philippe, while having a relatively successful military career and a successful a dynastic machination sort of thing, having ascended to the throne of France. He was not very successful in actually maintaining stability and keeping his rule alive. That's it for this week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Join us next week as we explore another historical figure from our past. And that's all the time we have left today for you history buffs. There's many more historical figures from our past to discuss, so be sure to join us same time, same place, next week for a new edition of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos.